Welcome to the Hope Beyond Trauma podcast. Here, we aim to help trauma survivors develop and strengthen their faith and help people of faith develop and strengthen their compassion. My name is Rhoda Hostetler, and I am so excited to bring you this podcast. and welcome to this week's episode. This week is a follow-up episode to last week's episode. So last week I addressed a listener question regarding Sabbath, rest, and trauma survivors, and I basically explained what Sabbath is and why rest is important for all of humanity, but especially for trauma survivors. This week we are discussing how to create rhythms of rest. So as humans, we move between productivity or work and rest. We want our productivity or our work to be high quality while we're working. And we want our rest to be deep and restful, even rejuvenating. A good routine of productivity and rest is one expression of trust in God, service to him and others, and recognition of our humanity. So some of the advice, some of the tips I have in this episode do involve doing something. And if you were to go down the productivity hack trail, you would find that they intentionally use periods of rest, sometimes even as short as five minutes, in order to make their work time better, to increase their productivity, to make their work higher quality. It's not that we rest just so that we can work well, unless you're a workaholic, nor is it that we rest for the love of resting, that would be laziness, but instead the balance of the two, not necessarily splitting our time 50-50, but reaching a point where our work time results in high quality work and our rest time is deeply rejuvenating is a healthy place to be. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. The layout of today's episode is fairly simple. I will give you a few thoughts to anchor this discussion, and these might be thoughts that you want to write down. And then I will move into how to rest, how to create restfulness. We will discuss spiritual rest, physical rest, emotional rest, and mental rest. Before we get into that, I want to tell you there are a lot of practical, doable pieces of advice in this episode, and I don't want anyone to feel overwhelmed, ashamed, or guilty if they don't, if you don't measure up. Like, it's fine. I have some of these down really well, some of them I am still working on, and I've been working on this balance of high productivity, high quality productivity, and high quality rest for probably four years now. This has been a personal thing of mine since long before the podcast was even an idea, and I don't have it all right. So if you have a pen and paper and you want to write down some thoughts that kind of help to anchor this discussion, here we go. First of all, if you are ever going to practice restfulness, you've got to get good at saying no 
to good things. If you are ever going to practice restfulness, you've got to get good at saying no to good things. Number two, ideally, productivity will not bleed into your times of rest every time. Now, if you are a human being, you know that sometimes life just happens. I might say, okay, I have five minutes. I need a breather from housework. I'm going to lay on the floor. It's my favorite place to take a breather. Lay on my soft carpet. And I'm not going to do any laundry. I'm not going to do any cleaning. I'm not going to look at social media. I'm not going to respond to messages for five minutes. And in those five minutes, one of my children needs mama. And they need mama now. And that's just life. Like, sometimes your work is going to interrupt your rest. And that just means you're human. But ideally, your work and your rest times will be distinct. You don't want to be on a date with your spouse discussing work unless it's a discussion that rejuvenates you, but there should still be a distinction. There should, you should be resting when you're resting and working well when you're working. So while work should not bleed into our times of rest, the opposite is not entirely true. Rest and rejuvenation should spill over into your productivity. Let me repeat that. Rest and rejuvenation should spill over into your productivity. So when I wake up in the morning, if I am exhausted when I wake up, it is so much harder to be productive. However, if I can approach my work day as a mom and a student from a place of mental rest and physical rest, where I'm starting the day with fresh energy and a fresh, clear mind, I work so much better. It's so much more peaceful even managing, you know, toddler whines. It's, it's manageable because I'm working from a position of restfulness. So you've got to get good at saying no to good things. Ideally, your productivity will not bleed into your times of rest, but your rest and rejuvenation will spill into your productivity. So how do we create this wonderful balance of productivity and rest? Spiritually, as we discussed last week, we find our rest in Jesus. Hebrews 12 verses 1 and the first part of verse 2 says this, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. We need to walk away from the weights, which are, if you notice this verse, they're distinct from sins. Social media might be a weight. It's not adding to your rest and it's hindering how well you love your family and those around you. You might need to lay it down or get in control of how much time you spend on it. But it's not necessarily sinful, not putting that burden on you. Walk away from sinful habits or thoughts. If you're a Christian, you should probably agree with this already. We know that sinful habits, trying to profess Christianity while also hang on to our favorite sins is burdensome. 
it's heavy, it's hard, it's not restful. And walk away from legalistic shoulds. If you see religion as a list of rules for you to live up to, you are living under a burden of shoulds that might feel safe, but is actually exhausting you. However, if you are living through the lens of what is God's heart in this situation? What is God's heart towards me? What is God's heart towards the world? And how can I align my life with his heart? You're living in so much more freedom and rest. For physical rest, the first tip I have for physical rest is to control your screen time, especially in the evenings right before you go to bed. The second tip I have is to get enough physical activity during the day to make so that you are tired enough at night that you can sleep deeply. We don't all have the privilege of getting uninterrupted sleep, especially if you are a parent of young children. Your children might get up one to three times a night, sometimes more if they're very young. But if you are physically active enough during the day, you can make so that your sleep at night, even though it is interrupted, while you are asleep, the sleep is high quality. And this practical tip is one I've actually tried. It's been researched and I've tried it and it worked for me. It might not work for you. There are, of course, there are outliers in every, every research project, but I think it's worth a shot. If you are struggling with sleeping well at night, whether it's getting enough sleep or getting deep enough sleep, try waking up at the same time every morning, even when you don't want to, for six days a week. If you approach this from trying to go to bed at the same time every night, you might be in bed, but your mind will still be going because your body isn't tired enough. If you start it at waking up at the same time every morning, after about a week of that consistency, it's really hard the first week, but after about a week of that consistency, your body figures out that, hey, I'm going to be waking up at five o'clock tomorrow. That means I need to start getting tired around 9 p.m. And it becomes a lot easier to go to sleep. Now, it gets more complicated. And if you are really, really struggling with physical rest, please note that this episode is just tips. It's practical tips. It's not a solid guarantee. And you might need to go see your doctor. And if you think you need to see your doctor, you probably do need to see your doctor. So make an appointment and go. With the physical activity, if you look back through history, we are now in a period of unprecedented laziness, may I say. We don't have to work hard to wash our clothes. We don't have to work hard physically to gather our food. It used to be that both men and women worked really hard during the day. And so when they would come to bedtime at night or even an afternoon nap, they were out. They were exhausted. Today, thanks to the luxuries we have, that's not as easy to experience. But you want, you still want to move your body well enough during the day that your body is tired at night. This might mean an exercise program. It might mean simply going for longer walks, picking up running, getting a bike and actually using it, whatever you choose for your physical activity, you want it to be something that you enjoy, even if it's challenging. You don't want it to be something that is a drag, just something that you have to check off your to-do list again. 
the best physical exercise plan is the plan that you will stick with, okay? For emotional rest, what I'm referring to here is when we are emotionally overwhelmed and we stay that way. We are just maxed out. You could be maxed out on emotional exhaustion. You could be maxed out stress-wise. You could be maxed out angry where you don't know how to enjoy the good things in life. You could be maxed out in just irritation and annoyance towards someone. You could just be maxed out in general where life is just so hard and you're just, ugh. To get to a point of emotional rest is not necessarily the same as getting to a point where we only feel the good emotions. We want to be able to feel appropriate emotions in response to appropriate events at appropriate times in appropriate depth and respond in ways that are appropriate to those around us. So you don't want to be stuck in anger to the point that you can't enjoy your children or your friendships. But you also don't want to be so afraid of anger that you don't get angry over circumstances that really should make you angry. Okay? So if you are dealing with emotional overwhelm or you're just stuck, here are my tips for you. First of all, I recommend going back to the episodes where I interviewed Jonathan Trotter. Those are top-notch interviews. I didn't do that great of a job as an interviewer. I'm new to interviewing people. I'm still very much learning, but he brought quality information and those episodes are phenomenal. If you're struggling with processing your emotions, if that's where your emotional overwhelm is coming from, go back to those episodes. It'll take an hour of your time to listen to both of them and listen to them. They are absolutely worth, they'd be worth, I think, two or three hours of your time. They're definitely worth one hour of your time. Another thing you can do for emotional overload to find rest is to talk to a friend or a therapist. There's research on this that talk therapy or sitting down with another person and simply discussing things, hearing your own voice, hearing someone else's perspective, it actually does make our lives better in the long run. You can journal your emotions. Sometimes it's helpful just to see things written out instead of thinking the same thoughts and feeling the same emotions over and over and over and over again. Avoid or limit social media. This is due to the barrage of emotionally charged posts that you'll see on social media. Right now, we are in election year, or as I prefer to call it, ad hominem attack year. And tensions are high. And if you are dealing with emotional overload and you're seeking emotional rest, you might need to walk away from political conversations. You might need to walk away from the competition against you on social media with perfect families and perfect people and perfect exercising bodies and perfect whatever. It's fine. Walk away from it. You do not have to carry that burden. Or you can limit it to what your specific purposes are on social media. Uh, how quickly can you meet those goals in a day and then be done? If you need to connect with someone out of state, if you want to follow political discussions because it's not too overwhelming, 
or you can set a timer, like how long are you going to read certain discussions? But if you are intentional and self-controlled with your use of social media, it can make such a big difference in your emotional overload. My last tip for emotional health, emotional rest, is boundaries. Set boundaries over your expectations of yourself, your expectations of others, and how much you will adhere to others' expectations of you. I'm not saying to cast aside everyone's expectations of you all the time. My husband and children expect me to make sure that there is clean underwear in their drawers at all times. That is not an unreasonable expectation. I pay attention to that expectation. However, there are some other expectations that I disregard. I don't care if I don't measure up and it's absolutely fine. There's society's expectations of me as a 29-year-old woman. I am not getting a career out of the home anytime soon. Not a 40-hour week career for sure. And I don't care if someone decides they want to look down on me for that. At the same time, there are religious expectations. And I have no desire to cross off somebody else's T's and dot their I's for them. I know what my calling is. I know what my responsibilities are. I know how... I can manage my time to fulfill what I believe God has asked me to do in this season of life, and I'm letting both society's expectations over me and religious culture expectations over me go to the wind, okay? I don't have to carry the emotional burden of being obligated to please other people unrealistically. I have boundaries there. You can also set boundaries over the conversations that you participate in, and this will help immensely with your emotional overload. So for some of you who are domestic violence survivors, you know this, and you know exactly where I'm going with this. You can set boundaries over who you let in your life. If there is someone in your life who is out to destroy you, you can set a hard boundary and say that person is not in my life, period. And you'll find an immense amount of emotional relief. This is not unforgiving. It is not bitter. And it is not graceless. We are not pressured to force reconciliation in a relationship where the offender is not even repentant. So when someone is actively out to destroy you, you absolutely are welcome to put up a hard boundary. Even the persecuted church did this. When their government was after them to destroy them, they moved away. They put up boundaries. Another boundary that you can have with conversations is the discussions you will have with certain people. So there might be people in your life who are not abusive, but they are forceful and they tend to always gravitate towards emotionally charged conversations that nobody wins in the end because they, they do not know how to approach hard conversations with grace. And I admire those who know how to address forceful people in a way that alleviates the forcefulness. I'm talking about not about people who have a strong opinion and express it clearly. I'm talking about people who like to do attacks from behind. They won't outright abuse you. You can't take them to court for anything. But they, they might involve, they might do things like talking about you behind your back or coming to you out of nowhere and saying, many of us have been discussing this and I'm the one sent to rebuke you. They're not going to say who the many are, but you're left emotionally just 
in this backlash. Where did this come from? What's going on? I thought things were fine. So I have boundaries over what types of conversations I will have with those people. I will have surface conversations, but I'm not going to get into the conversations where I know their goal is to make me feel small in order to make themselves feel good. I won't do it. There are specific people in my life who I will take advice from. There are specific people in my life who, when they give me a rebuke, I listen extra hard. And there are specific people in my life who, if a rebuke comes through them, it goes in one ear and out the other because they have such a horrible track record. It's a boundary and it guards my emotional restfulness. I can actually process healthy rebukes from healthy people with a clear mind because I don't let my mind ideally, realistically, sometimes I still struggle, but I don't let my mind in an ideal case take in absolutely everything and give it equal weight. Okay. And then this goes for normal people. This goes for a good husband and a good wife. You still need some kind of conversational boundaries sometimes to guard your emotional well-being. And here's an example. I do not initiate or participate in the really hard conversations, the emotionally charged, heavy conversations, even with my husband, unless I am coming from a position of rest. So if I am emotionally maxed out, maybe something horrible happened and I've been really angry about it, or I'm emotionally exhausted, or I just, my brain is just fried, I can't think anymore, and someone wants to have a hard conversation or my husband wants to discuss something that we tend to sometimes disagree on, I will say, look, I'm really exhausted right now. I'm not in the frame of mind for a heavy conversation. And we'll move it to a time when we can. It helps so much to be able to schedule something like that out ahead a little bit or even say, okay, we can have the conversation in 15 minutes, but can you please give me 15 minutes to rest? You're not being selfish by honoring your own limits. It's actually very honoring to the other person because when we are emotionally exhausted and we go into an emotionally charged conversation, emotionally exhausted, it can result in us saying unkind things or thoughtless things. Whereas if you go into a hard conversation with a a clear enough head and a sense of anchoredness, you are more apt to be able to have the conversation in a healthy way and avoid any hints of snark or sarcasm or any of those really dangerous things. And you're less likely to, when you are feeling something strongly, to just talk at someone instead of talking to them. Okay? The last aspect is mental rest. And I make a difference between emotional rest and mental rest in that emotional exhaustion, emotional overwhelm is just these overwhelming emotions. But mental exhaustion is this type of thing that you're having thoughts that are racing and are not necessarily connected with each other. So here's a thought about this. Here's a thought about that. They're like popcorn thoughts. Like if you've ever watched popcorn popping in a bowl, 
Here's a thought. Here's a thought. Here's a big thought. Here's a little thought. Here's a thought that barely developed. Here's another thought. Here's another thought. Oh my goodness. There's so many thoughts and they don't even connect with each other. If you're dealing with popcorn thoughts, you want to be able to create mental habits that move you from popcorn thoughts towards train track thoughts. So you can see this thought starts over here. It's moving in that direction. And somewhere along the line, it intersects with another thought. And that thought has a beginning and it has a direction where it's going. It's so much more stabilizing to build habits of train track thoughts instead of just getting stuck in the popcorn thoughts. So for mental rest, I have a list of do's and don'ts and I'm going to start with the don'ts because I think they might be more important. I think once you look at the don'ts, it'll be a lot easier to do the do's. Don't drink caffeine if you're dealing with rapid racing, highly anxious thoughts. Caffeine and anxiety, there are many studies on this. Caffeine aggravates anxiety. It aggravates your racing thoughts. If you are dealing with mental restlessness and you drink a lot of caffeine, I would recommend going cold turkey or going very near to cold turkey. Really cut down on your caffeine intake. You'll also find that this helps you sleep better at night and it gives you Instead of less energy, it gives you a more stable energy. I'm not kidding. My, my parenting, my mothering improved when I cut out caffeine. And now I will have a cup of coffee occasionally, maybe one or two a week. But I still have limits. I have boundaries on how much I will consume, how quickly I consume it, how often I consume it, and the time of day I consume it. Another thing, another don't is don't abuse social media, TV, and screen time. Use it for specific purposes, long enough to meet those goals, and then be done. Social media, if you're scrolling, it's like, here's a post from this person. Here's a post from that person. Here's another post. Here's a political post. Here's an ad. Here's a medical blurb. Here's a study. Here's a video. Here's a live. You can have so many thoughts given to you in two seconds worth of your time. Your body might not be moving, but it is still not letting your mind rest. With TV, it's very much the same with movies and with shows. In real life, our eyes take in scenery changes about once every seven to nine seconds. So if you're walking from, from one room of your house to the next room, you will mentally adjust to your surroundings about once every seven to nine seconds. However, when your eyes are watching TV with those movies that are made to keep your attention and the advertisements that are made to keep your attention, the screen is shifting and changing multiple times per second often. This is part of why uh, screen time is so destructive to children's minds while they are in the young stages of development. It's hard to rest when your mind is figuring out what's going on and figuring out what's going on here and not taking in this noise and taking in this change in lighting and taking in this change of scenery instead of just living your life more calmly. Do. 
the list of things to do, if your mental thoughts, if your racing thoughts or your restlessness is trauma-related, do go to a counselor. They can help to make a lot of sense out of what seems overwhelming to you. Another thing is if you think you might be in danger or if you think someone else might be in danger, take steps towards your safety or towards the safety of the other person. Sometimes our minds don't let us rest until we do something about a legitimate problem. And if we try to force our minds to rest before the problem is addressed, we're just working against ourselves. Getting to a good counselor if you're dealing with something trauma-related can make such a difference in the pace of your thoughts. Do read books regularly. This helps to develop the train track thought instead of the popcorn thought, okay? An example of this, my husband is part of a book study right now. They're studying a book written by C.S. Lewis. And yesterday he was telling me, you really need to go onto YouTube and listen to C.S. Lewis's chapter on sexuality. You really need to do that. Well, he's been telling me I really need to read this book or need to read this chapter or he'll pull the book out and show me a paragraph for the last month and a half. So for about a month and a half, he has been working on this particular series of train track thoughts. His mind has been chewing on this C.S. Lewis book for that long. It's a really healthy, good thing. Do listen to high-quality audio. This can be sermons that are recorded and uploaded on YouTube or to podcasts. This can be YouTube videos that are informational without being overwhelming. This can be podcasts. Thank you for listening to this one. It can be music. The goal here, if you're working towards creating mental rest, is to make sure that the audio you're taking in is anchoring restful audio. You don't want to be taking in audio that is either too loud or too difficult to listen to, to where it actually leaves you more restless instead of more restful. Do create a restful environment. Rather than go down the decluttering bunny trail, I will simply say if you are struggling with a restful environment, go to Ali Casaza's podcast titled The Purpose Show. She has got tons of episodes, tons of information out there for free, and her approach is very well grounded. I have benefited so much from it. Do create routines around your regular responsibilities. This helps with mental thoughts that are racing by eliminating the thoughts you have to remember. So every morning when I wake up, I have a whole day ahead of me. And as a housewife, I know I'm going to need to make three meals that day. I'm going to need to clean up after three meals that day. I need to do one to two loads of laundry. I need to wash a minimum of one dishwasher load full of dishes. I should sweep the floors and I should check the bathrooms to make sure that in our house full of little boys, the bathrooms are still acceptable. Instead of looking at the whole day going, oh, how am I going to piece it all together? I have a routine. I wake up, I do college, and I have routines for how I write essays. I have routines for how I do presentations. I have routines inside my routines. 
believe me, I'm not a type A person. I'm not super organized by nature. This has been trial by fire, figuring out that my fly-by-night approach wasn't working and intentionally becoming self-controlled with my use of time. There were some time management um, assignments given in a leadership course I took that really helped me a, a little over a year ago, maybe right out a year ago, actually. So even if you think, oh, I'm not type A, I could never do this. Yes, you can. You can create routines that simplify your life. I don't have to tell myself, oh, I got to wake up and do college. It just, it comes naturally to me by now. After I'm done with college, I take care of the baby. And after the baby is up and fed and diaper changed and everything, I go make breakfast for the boys. And then we, the boys wake up and I tell them breakfast is ready. They need to get dressed and I unload the dishwasher. The dishwasher runs at night. I unload it in the morning. That allows me to start my day off with an empty dishwasher so the dirty breakfast dishes can go right into the dishwasher and they're not cluttering up my counter. It ties back into the point of, about creating a restful environment. Even though there are dirty dishes in the kitchen, they're dirty dishes in the dishwasher. And so they're out of sight, out of mind. It's, it's restful. After that, we go and I work out. And then we have a block of time where I run errands. When we switch to homeschooling, we will start homeschooling in that block of time. And then there's lunch time and putting the dishes away after lunch. And then there's free time. Sometimes the boys play outside and I work on college or podcasts in the afternoon. Do you follow what I'm saying? Like, I don't have to wake up every morning going, oh, I have to do this and that and the next thing. Because I have a routine. After I get done with one responsibility, it naturally feels like it's time to do the next. Okay? If this is overwhelming to you, you should go listen to Kendra Hennessy's podcast, Mother Like a Boss. She breaks it down really easily, really simply, and she gives some truth bombs, I think is what she calls them. One of them hit me square in the eyes, I don't know, a year and a half ago, maybe. She said something like, you have a routine. And if you think you don't have a routine, then your routine is probably chaos. She used the example of when it's time to leave with your children, either you have a routine where you know where their shoes are and you get the children over and you put their shoes on or they put their shoes on and you go out the door or your routine is, hey, where's your shoe? It's not my responsibility to look for your shoes. Why don't you put your shoes back? One or the other is consistently happening in your home. Either your routine is peaceful or your routine is chaotic. And she talks a lot about creating peaceful routines. Again, I'm not type A. This, I, I do not have this down perfectly, but I've mastered it well enough that I can be confident in saying this is a huge component of mental rest. Another final component of mental rest is to write down your thoughts. If you have a thought that is repeating itself and you feel like it's important and you want to remember it, write it down either in a notebook, write it down in a journal if it's a journaling type of thought, or if it's a thing that you need to do at some point in the future, write it down on a calendar or in your planner. Thoughts that are written down are thoughts that your mind does not have to work to remember. Okay? Well, this episode got long as I kind of expected with all of the practical tips. 
I don't expect you to wake up tomorrow morning and do all of these. Instead, I'm more expecting this episode to be one that you listen to and you go, oh, hey, that really makes sense or that really makes sense. And maybe you'll shift your life around the one or two things that really stood out to you. And six months from now, when you come back and listen to it again, something else completely different might stand out to you and seem like a really doable thing. I don't want you to take this episode and turn it into a should. Just because someone is out there doing these things or is ahead of you in it in some aspect, don't carry the burden of having to meet up with someone else's expectations. Just work on whatever is doable for you at this time. And any one of these differences, any one of these steps towards rest should result in more rest for you. So just start somewhere. Start wherever, wherever you thought you needed to start and go from there. Thank you for listening today. Whether you are a trauma survivor or someone who loves a trauma survivor, I hope you leave this podcast with an awareness of our good God's presence in your story and a readiness to live his love towards the people in your life.